Good morning, church friends and family. I have missed you. Taylor and I are back from our honeymoon, and I am, yeah, it was that, and I am excited to kick off a new series today. We have been working on this one for quite a while, and it is the kind of risky but hopefully helpful stuff that I like to engage with faith. The name of our series is Suburban Idols, and this is what we're going to be preaching about for the next seven weeks. The idea behind this series is to engage the actual stuff of suburbia that all of us are most likely to put ahead of God. All these topics are intended to be relevant wherever you might live, but the starting point for our reflection was what's most likely to become more important than God to the people in our community. It's our hope that this series will help you reflect on how you live your day-to-day life and then help you love God with all of your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind. We want to help you put God first in your heart and in your day-to-day. As background for this series, the most written about topic in the entire Bible, and it's not close, is idolatry. One framework for understanding the whole Old Testament is that it's the story of God rescuing Israel calling them to faithfulness, and then watching them turn again and again to worshiping idols from the surrounding cultures. And then the Israelites every time start oppressing the poor, foregoing justice and doing evil, and then they start suffering, and then their suffering causes them to cry out to God, who will always rescue them again and again. That connection between idolatry and doing evil can be fuzzy for us today in a world where people are very rarely worshiping objects the way they did in Christ's time. But idolatry was very, very serious stuff. In Jeremiah 32, 32 to 36, the prophet predicts the downfall of Jerusalem, the city of God and the city of God's people. And here's why God withheld protection from them. Verse 32, the sins of Israel and Judah, the sins of the people of Jerusalem, the kings, the officials, the priests, and the prophets have stirred up my anger. My people have turned their backs on me and have refused to return. Even though I diligently taught them, they would not receive instruction or obey. They have set up their abominable idols right in my own temple, defiling it. They've built pagan shrines to Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, and there they sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech. I have never commanded such a horrible deed. It never even crossed my mind to command such a thing. What an incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly. And so we see um, the practices of idolatry in the ancient world were not like an innocent, oh, hey, here's a nice thing, no big deal. It led people to behave in different ways that are predictable as people turn to idolatry. And it included, in the case of Israel, even killing their children as a sacrifice to the idols that they themselves had built. And this has happened in tons of cultures all over the world. How can worshiping idols lead to such great evil? I think we find one clue in Psalm 115, verses 4 to 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. 
One of my favorite books we've ever read at Theology Pub, which is our monthly book club. It's meeting today. We read a book that has something to do with God, and we answer three questions. What did you like? What didn't you like? Does this have anything to do with our lives? Right? Uh, We've been doing this long enough. We have like 120, 150, some ridiculous number of books under our belt now. Uh, One of my top five is You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. He writes about the power of our day-to-day choices to shape our spirituality and our character over time, and how when we choose something other than God and head toward uh, something other than God, we begin to get shaped and formed in a different way than if we are following Jesus. That's what's at the center of this series, the desire to have all of our hearts captured by Jesus and the power of God's love so that our day-to-day choices form us more and more like the God we serve. And that's what this psalm is talking about. As people became obsessed with inventing so-called gods that they liked better than the other alternatives, as they labored to create new and better gods out of more and more expensive materials, they lost the connection that you and I are actually made for. We are made for relationship by a relational God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who love one another and created us to invite us into that relationship of eternal and mutual love, both in this world and in the next. But so often we reject that invitation and we put other things we've created into the most important place in our lives. God loves you, friends. Could I get an amen to that? God loves you. And God invites you today to love God with everything that you have. And so I hope today you'll be able to sing and worship and pray and receive prayer, hear the word, and grow in loving and being loved by Jesus. Uh, One question you might have as we kick off is, what does worshiping idols have to do with me? Most of us probably don't have divine objects that we worship in our homes. Amen? If you do, by the way, that's idolatry, just as a side note. Um, What does idolatry mean for the rest of us in a mostly non-supernatural and modern culture? Uh, On this subject, I actually very much like John Piper's definition of an idol, and this is taken from the Desiring God website. Idolatry is anything we come to rely on for blessing or help or guidance instead of wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. If we come to crave, love, depend on, and trust for a blessing from things like people's praise to enhance how we feel about ourselves, or money, or power, or sex, or family, or productivity, or anything else besides God for the greatest blessing, help, guidance, and satisfaction, then in essence, we are doing what idolatry has always done. And so the idea here is that we may have stopped creating physical things to worship, but what we've done is trade those things for ideas that we put in place of God in our hearts. And you'll notice lots of the examples Piper gives are good things. Good things can become idols, and indeed, the reason they become idols is because we think they're the best thing. Family, sex, and productivity are all gifts of God in the right context. But the leap to idolatry comes when instead of looking to God for our ultimate salvation, we look to these other things, good or bad. Tim Keller and others argue that all sin can actually be traced to idolatry. When we put God first, we serve God, and we head in the direction that God leads. When we start to look to something else to make our life meaningful and advance our standing in the universe, it starts to change who we are. 
when we look to careers or romantic relationships to save us and give us everything God designed us to find in relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit, we find ourselves uh, living lives of drivenness and addiction and anxiety and obsessiveness and envy and resentment. In the New Testament, Paul writes to the Colossians, and he warns them against idolatry in a way that makes it clear idolatry does include putting things before God as well as worshiping physical idols. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so... If idolatry includes covetousness, the worship of money and material things, wanting the stuff other people have and telling God, I'm not grateful, I need more, um, then we see that idolatry has grown to include uh, some of these things that are in our heart. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about family, materialism, politics, security, money, and tribal identities. It occurred to me today that I need to change one week or add a week because if I don't talk about this, I'm the worst pastor ever, right? Like what's actually running our lives, right? Um, I get to kick off this series by talking about family. I chose this topic because family is arguably the reason the suburbs exist at all. Like so many people, I followed a pretty typical route to my own suburban life. I grew up as a kid in the burbs. And then I went to the big city for school and work and some adventure. And then I got married, and when it was time to settle down, we wanted to raise our family in a safe place. And we bought our first town home in Egan, eventually moving to South St. Paul to be closer to the church, and then down to Invergrove Heights when we adopted twins and we did not fit in the house anymore. Having our son and adopting Anya and Leah very much changed my view of family. Um, my childhood family was challenging for me. I'm sure there were lots of good things about it. Uh, but I felt unsafe and broken and afraid for most of my childhood. Um, I became close to my parents in my adulthood, but, but like, although there were good things happening around me as a kid, I had no ability to experience a close, loving family at that time in my life. I remember this Latino kid when my brother and I were working at McDonald's picking on me and my brother in my teen years, and his mind was blown that we would not stick up for each other in a fight. And we were like, why would we stick up for him? You know, like we're just family, who cares? And to a Latino, of course, that's like a mind-exploding concept. My feelings about family changed a ton with the birth of our son, David, and the adoption of our daughters, Anya and Leah, after four years of relentless prayer and heartbreaking events. There are not words for the love I feel for my kids. Um, it's beyond anything I can explain, and it is a love that threatens to upend all my priorities. I know God is meant to be first, and God is meant to be first, and I know that the best thing for your kids is to put your spouse ahead of your kids. That actually makes them more secure and turn out better than putting the kids first, but I could never have imagined how hard it would be to keep the priorities in that order. From the beginning, through the baby years, into elementary, and I happen to especially love tweens, the 12 to 14, 15 ages. Uh, loving our kids is at the center of who I am, even through the wild ride of the dramatic ups and downs of parenting in the modern age. And trust me, we have very ups and downs going on, just like every other family. And so what does it mean for family to be an idol? It turns out Jesus has very clear things to say on this subject. Twice, Jesus said that we are to put God ahead of our family. 
first. Let's read from Luke 14, 25 to 26. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, how incredibly clear is that? Yes, family is good. Family's at the heart of the creation story of Adam and Eve and God commanding them, be fruitful and multiply, go out and have family. Family's a very great good. It is at the foundation of God's plan for humanity, however family works out. But Jesus knows the human heart. Jesus was human. And Jesus knows how putting family first works. When family is number one, it pulls us from God and prevents us from wholeheartedly following Jesus. Rick Warren and enough of my seminary professors that I now believe him um, have taught me that hyperbole was actually the primary form of humor in the Jewish world of the first century. And what that means is you say super exaggerated things and everybody laughs. Hyperbole is no longer like a primary form of humor today, and so it's easy for us to miss this. So these verses aren't saying, actually go hate your family for Jesus, okay? We are not trying to separate you from your loved ones so that we can cultify you, shave your head, and make you wear an orange toga or anything like that, okay? Um, Jesus is not, to his original listeners, trying to communicate something about your family's bad. Your family's like who God's given you, right? Um, what he is saying is making a point that leaves people chuckling and realizing, huh, maybe there's some there there. I wonder where family is in my priority list. When I was in my 20s, about a year after God saved my life from addiction and suicide, I went on a missions trip to inner city Los Angeles. And as a big part of the trip, we learned about God's heart of love for cities. And there's a bunch of scriptures on this, and they're awesome. And we learned about the devastating effects of so many Christians moving out of cities to raise their kids. We went to Skid Row and served food at a rescue mission where I'd go live for the summer as an intern. We painted a community center in East LA gang territory. These guys even took us out street witnessing in Watson Compton at 10.30 at night. There was like a gun and some heroin and some, it was exciting. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, this trip's where I met my ex-wife, Erin. And both of us were sold on the idea of incarnational ministry, living where you want to serve. And we both figured that was probably gonna be in the city. And then we had our first kid. And the idea of living somewhere unsafe was enough to push us ultimately out of leaving our dreams behind of serving in the city. And I think we left behind something God was calling us to do. But it was pretty easy to let it slide because our love for our baby made it suddenly way harder to imagine living and doing ministry with the perils of urban life. And I can't swear to it, but I think God maybe was calling us to something different than that, than what we did. Uh, fortunately, God does not stop loving us when we step off the path. Could I get an amen to that? Amen. If you have stepped off the path, God has not stopped loving you at all. And God always has another path for you to step back onto. Always. For you. Always. God follows us when we step off the path. God keeps on pursuing us. That's a talk for another time. I know what it's like to put my family before God's call. I'm not proud of it. And through God's generosity and kindness, I continue to follow Jesus. But the fact remains that for a minute, my new family was important enough for me to leave behind what I thought uh, might not have been the right thing. Jesus challenges us, put God first. 
not second, not third, not 97th, first. And this is how he puts it in Matthew 10, 37 to 39. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. If God is our creator and Jesus is God, our first love rightly belongs to Jesus. The Bible says God is love, that God is our maker, that God loves us and God loves you specifically. And Jesus came to give his life to humanity, showing us the way to eternal life and even making the way to eternal life. And that way is to accept God's work on our behalf to believe in Jesus, and then to confess Jesus is Lord. I love the way the prophet Hosea speaks on God's behalf in chapter 13, verse 4. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt where I rescued you, and you know no God but me. Beside me there is no Savior. And this gets into why God is against idolatry. It's because we give up the salvation that we seek when we head for something besides God. Is there anything else that gets first place in your heart? Is there any way that your family, your real family, or your dreams or wishes for a different family, is there any way that that's taking God's place in your heart? To make this more practical, I'm going to ask you some questions to reflect upon as you think about your own relationship with your family, whatever that's like. And I do, I got to go off notes a second time in a row. Hopefully I can do this right. Um, Family doesn't have to be perfect to be an idol. Family doesn't even have to be good to be an idol. Family can be terrible and still be an idol. Um, I look back and it's very easy for me to say I'd be a better person if I had a better childhood. Has anybody ever said that or known that? Like, it's probably true, number one. And then sometimes that can kind of be an excuse. I remember my friend Jeff told me his dad prayed for him from 4 to 4.30 in the morning every day his entire life while he lived at home. And I was just like gutted with envy, thinking about what a different person I'd be if someone had loved me like that, not just in the morning, but throughout the rest of the day. And I think um, what I heard when I was in a recovery meeting while I was talking about this with some guys during step five, I heard God say, I was doing that for you. And I hadn't given God the space to do that because I wanted something else than what I had. And so even when family's been broken, we can put it in the place that God wants to come and heal by being made first in our lives. Here's some questions for you to reflect on as you consider your own family. Is there any way that you have put your family ahead of God in your heart, inside? Uh, I once would have said, no, that's not who I am. But then I went through my divorce during COVID, and I found myself doubting God's call on my life, doubting whether I could survive with my family broken in that way, and really struggling with whether I could ever be of service to anybody ever or not. I discovered that my actual identity and faith were more wrapped up in my idea of family than I knew. 
And so what's your answer? Is there a way you've put family ahead of God in your heart? A second question is, in what ways have you put your family before God in your actions? And I want to be clear here. Um, having a top priority doesn't mean there's no other priorities, right? I am not calling anybody to abandon their family and spend the rest of their time in a monastery. Please be cl let's be clear about that. That's a terrible idea. Unless God's calling you to do it, of course, then do that. Um, when something is real important and something's less important, you still have to put this thing ahead of this thing sometimes. If I'm on my way to church, which is good, and God's there, and one of my children starts vomiting blood in the car, I'm going to turn the car, right? We're not going to go to church now. We're going to go to the hospital now because right now this is more important. The question I have for you is how often are your actions putting your family ahead of God? Is that a once-in-a-while thing? Is it an everyday thing? I'll give you some ways from my own life. My kids, as one example, are always going to choose sports over church or youth group, period. And I miss the days that sports never conflicted with Wednesdays because schools respected youth groups on Wednesdays. Those days are long gone. And now the weekend tournaments start early on Sundays. That's a thing all the time. And so sometimes my kids are missing church. And sometimes that's because I'm driving them and I'm missing church too. And I feel uncomfortable uh, sometimes when that happens, especially when I think of how my mom would not have thought about that for one second. She would have been like, we're Christians. We don't do that. But skip church. That would have been unfathomable, you know, to my mom, who really did love God with a, with a pretty pure heart for love for God. My third question for you, is there anything you can do, a practical thing you can do, to make sure God's first in your heart and actions. Uh, for me, it, it may be different for you, that's just fine. But for me, by far, the most important thing that keeps God first in my life is church. I just missed two weeks in a row. This has happened a couple times in my life. Uh, when all my choices for three weeks now since I was here, you know, with the wedding and the honeymoon, when all my choices aren't around church, um, God slips, not on purpose, not because not I'm trying for God to slip, but because I haven't been around. I haven't been intentional. I haven't had other people to help me. I haven't gotten prayer. I haven't been in a place where I can sing, you know? And so things start to slip. And so today is the best day of church this year. I'm super glad to be back. I really did miss you. I'm really grateful for what you bring to me. Thank you, you know? You guys help me a lot. Um... When I come worship, take communion, and receive prayer, it reminds me, oh, yeah, God's the creator. Oh, yeah, Jesus is the Lord. Oh, yeah, there's the Holy Spirit right here to keep us connected to God's love. All of these things, week in and week out, week after week, help us put God first. And um, I can think of another thing that might help you put God first in your hearts and actions. Join a family-friendly group, life group here at the church with your kids. Um, we probably have a couple of them on the wall, but I'm going to highlight one of them in particular, and that's Alpha. Alpha is going to be meeting on Wednesdays. It's going to have stuff for kids, stuff for um, youth, stuff for adults. The stuff that the kids and youth and adults are doing will fit together, leading to conversations as a family, each of our experiences targeted for our age group. I just think that's a great way to say, as a family, lots of what we do has nothing to do with church. We're just going to add one thing that fits in with church. What might God ask you to do to put God first in your heart and actions with your family? Um, on that note, I want to invite the worship team to come forward 
and I invite you all to uh, stand as you are able. I have three tips for putting the Word of God into practice as we have received it today. Tip number one is read Luke 14 and Matthew 10. Uh, these are the two passages that contain what Jesus had to say about family um, in those two instances I read today. Tip number two, ask Jesus to be first in your life. I think it's very easy for us to realize something else has come first. My work in addiction and my own experience of addiction. When you're in addiction, you know what's first. <laughs> for me, it was getting high. And, uh, and you can't necessarily do anything about it. The thing is, God is there for stuff like that. God's there for us to turn to him and say, God, I need help even putting you first. Could you give me the power to do what pleases you? Because God's always glad to do that for you. Tip number three is make whatever changes you can for God to be first in your life. And I don't have like a general change for everybody because God knows your life way better than I do. And I do believe that if you ask God, God, have I made you first in my life or not? God will answer the question with you. You might need to ask a few times. You might need to listen real carefully. But I think God cares about you enough to let you know the truth of where your heart is at. Uh, we're going to transition into ministry time. We'll have a couple songs and communion and a closing song. If you're on the prayer team, could you come forward at this time? Do we have anyone available to pray for folks on this side of the room? Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Rena. Love you both. Now it's two to one. It's great. It's great. I appreciate you both. Thanks so much. Um, I have a couple questions uh, that you might want prayer for. Uh, one is if you're aware God's fallen from first place in your life. I think this is a great moment to just come and say it out loud and let somebody pray a blessing and forgiveness for you and ask God for help with you. Uh, another one would be um, specifically has your relationship with your family, because it was so great or so terrible, uh, gotten to a place where you're putting it ahead of God. Uh, some prayer to let go of your family and give your family to God might actually bless your family today. Might actually help you be a family member in a way that's less anxious and grasping and more free. Please don't anybody hear me wrong. We love family. Love for family is ingrained within us. But I think putting my family before anything else might be one of the most core idolatries available to the whole world. And that, that means us too, right? Let's pray. Uh, God, we're so grateful for what you've done in Christ. Thank you for giving us your son, your family. And thank you for calling us to be in your family, calling us your sons and your daughters. Jesus, calling us your brother, your mother, your sister, your friend. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us our families, for good or for ill, the people you've put in our lives. Uh, you were involved there, God. We ask you to bless our families. We ask you to bless us and help us be present in our families with a wholehearted love for you. Help us be a people who put you first and drift toward you and become more like you and make our day-to-day -day choices more like you. For those of us with um, a lot of scarring around our family, I pray that you would bring healing, God. I pray that you would let us help us let go of blame and resentment and unforgiveness and the things that continue to hold us back. 
And I pray that you would help us be set free to be in your family today. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers. Friends, I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are a beloved child of God. God adores you and wants nothing more than a loving relationship with you for the rest of your life. Receive the Holy Spirit today. We'll transition into worship and prayer now. Come receive prayer as God leads. The team will direct us and let us know when the service is over. If you're visiting, I'd love to meet.